time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm uh, talking with the candidates from the uh, 50th District State House of Representatives uh, August primary. I have uh, two candidates with me currently. Uh, One is a Republican, one is a Democrat in this uh, August primary, and they happen to be married to each other. They are Lynn and Ray Freiberger. Welcome back, Lynn and Ray. Hey. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you. Um, we were talking a little bit about the, the mail-in voting, and then just now as, uh, as, as we took the break, we heard uh, a public service announcement from Governor Whitmer about the uh, coronavirus. And, and uh, Lynn, you had joked about, well, we're, we're at home. We've got nothing to do. <laughs> we're all kind of on house <laughs> We're all kind of on house arrest, but um, in, in recent weeks, Republicans have been very critical of the governor, while Democrats think she's uh, uh, doing the best job ever in trying to address this uh, public health crisis. What say you? Um, let's let's start um, with Lynn and then uh, follow up with you, Ray. How do you think the governor is uh, doing with her handling of the coronavirus crisis here in Michigan? Well, Tom, this coronavirus is very novel, as they have said on the news over and over and over again. Every state is dealing with it in their own way, as should be, because they're, you know, in charge. And as far as being a Democrat or Republican, I'm sure the Democrats would be all over a Republican governor for doing probably the same thing. So as far as I'm concerned, if she's looking out for the welfare of everybody, more power to her. And Ray, your thoughts? My thoughts is yes. She's, you know, the people are important, and whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you need to think about the people, not about well, the, my party does this or my party does that, because if the people die, get catch the coronavirus and die, you lost a vote. In a sense. So, well, that's a pragmatic yeah, uh, right. look at it there, Ray. <laughs> um, 
but 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 let's talk about the impact of uh, coronavirus or COVID nineteen and and the various stay at home orders and so on because it it's not only changed the way people vote but it's changed the way people have to campaign for office. Um, how are you able to to run a campaign when you can't really go knocking on doors or can you? Some people are. Well, as it is, we, like we said, we have lockdown. And if you're going to take the risk of going out and meeting all these different people, you're also risking your life. So if you can have the platforms out there to put out your issues, you utilize those to the best of your ability. And, and yeah. what platforms are those, Ray? Okay, you've got the Internet. You've got Facebook. You've got web pages. You've got mailing. You can mail stuff. Even then, you've got to watch mailing because some people feel that getting something in the mail is going to give them possible a virus. But going out and knocking on doors, you're not only affecting, you're putting the person that you're talking to, their family, other people that are around you. So to me, you're, you're, you're like, I don't care. I'm more concerned about getting into the party than the person that I'm talking to. And and what about fundraising? Um, that's a difficult thing to do. Most uh, candidates have a, you know, a rubber chicken dinner or a pizza party or something at a at a pub or a restaurant and get a few friends and family and and whoever else they can get to show up and and chip in a few dollars uh, to help run the campaign. What what do you do about uh, about funding things like mailings or yard signs and all of that? Uh, you plan for it. Uh, basically, we don't we don't we're not looking for donations because I always we always look at the fact is that if you donate, somebody down the line is going to want something. And number two, since when you go for a job interview, do you have the guy pay you to be interviewing you? No, this is a job. This is a this is something to go and help people. So why should I have force them to pay? Now, yeah, there's I, we get emails all the time like, okay, hey, we can show you how to to do the funding online and and get donations online and stuff like this. And that's not that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. And call on your friends. Hit your family, your friends, you know. Let's go, the old, let me borrow 20 bucks. <laughs> you know, is, is there, um, you know, what, you have to do, you know, every, every family that gets involved in a political campaign has to, uh, you know, realize that there's an impact on their family budget. But in your case, um, you're budgeting for two campaigns. Yep, we certainly are, and doing very well with it. Yeah, um, what would what would happen if if the two of you um, won your respective primaries and ended up running against each other in the general? Would it change? Yeah, she'd be sleeping in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> but would you? But but then would you find yourselves? You know, having to sort of keep things from each other so as not to tip your hand about the about the campaign and your strategy and so on. 
if we're for the people, okay, to better their lives, to make their lives happier, what is the difference between the two parties if we're both generating the same energy to pursue the same endpoint? But then, too, I, we still keep, you know, we've been married for almost 40 years, we still keep things apart from each other. <laughs> yeah, that's how I ended up with a couple of ex-wives, Ray. Uh, <laughs> but uh, You but, made a wrong choice. <laughs> yeah, more than once. Um, but uh, yeah, all kidding aside, um, what are some, uh, how are you able to communicate with people using these various platforms? Are you able to get feedback from other people, and what are you hearing from them? Um, Lynn, you keep talking about uh, wanting to do things that, that make people happy or make their lives better. Um, what are you hearing from people, um, or are you able to hear from people, about the things that they want to see prioritized? Well, that's just it. With the coronavirus and everybody scrambling for trying to get on platforms and getting their word out, sometimes it is difficult. And when you have a lot of backwash and a lot of you know noise in the background, sometimes your voice gets lost in the translation. So, yeah, we have to push, 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 and we're trying the best we can under the coronavirus. And if you can't get out there, you try to do as best as you can with other means of communication. But what are the issues you think that uh, that 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 should matter? Right, right now we're hearing, um, you know, if you turn on the news, it's uh, you know, it's it's all coronavirus or all protest all the time. Um, what are the things that what are, what are the kitchen table issues that that matter to people? To me, or to Raymond, or to us both? Well, what what do you think? should be the priorities to um, take up in Lansing to make people's lives better? I'm thinking that the current issues that have been brought out by the coronavirus should be addressed in a, um, I want to say, neutral environment so that we can get communication between two violent or more than one, uh, more than one violent issue that is hitting our our cities today i mean tearing down items everybody the whole united states owns that you know the the mount rushmore for instance everybody owns that and to tear it down for the small voice that's horrible but we i want to try to bring everybody together and try to have a single voice so that we can get through, you know, this horrible time. And and what do you think about that? About um, about trying to get rid of references. Uh, uh, it it starts with the Civil War, but it it's uh, spilled over into some of the founding fathers that owned slaves, and and as Lynn mentioned, the. Uh, Mount Rushmore. My my personal feeling is I'd like to see the Marx Brothers on Mount Rushmore. But, um, but Ray, what what do you think about that? Is that revisionist history, or should we be uh, ridding ourselves of images that are painful to some people? Well, if if you look at it that way, you want you, you want, want that. You I'd want rather that. have you want the Marx Brothers. I'd rather have the Three Stooges. 
to start with. And, and already okay. we have a disagreement over the uh, <laughs> what what statue. I agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a Three Stooges fan. Um, let me let me but, do this. But or go ahead, finish uh, what you were saying, Ray. Okay. The fact is that you're tearing down this thing. If you're going to tear down one type for slavery, then we need to tear down every monument, including the the ones for uh, civil rights and everything, because you just want to change the entire history of the United States. Okay? You had people who had fought, veterans who have fought to give you people the rights and and... Uh, to say what they can say and memorizing these people. And you then go out and then you destroy these monuments. What does that make that person feel or that person's family feel when your dad died in Vietnam or they died, your grandfather died in World War II and then these people who don't give up mm, go out and destroy that monument? We're going to have to uh, wrap things up here in a couple of minutes, and I want to make sure, as I do with all guests, that uh, listeners have an opportunity to find out where they can learn more about uh, each of you or the two of you. Um, do you have uh, websites or, or places that people can uh, follow what your uh, campaigns are about? Okay, I have a Facebook page, Lynn Freiberger, 50th District uh, Republican, keywords, so you can find me there. Just put my name in, you'll probably find me on there. And then I've got a website that I'm currently working on trying to get up, and it's giving a lot more details about me, my history, and my issues. And Ray, what about you? Yes, I also have a uh, Facebook page, Facebook page. Uh, Raymond Freiberger Elect. Uh, have an email at raymond at electfreiberger.com and also a web page that's, that's going up. Okay, well, I, I want to thank the both of you for uh, spending this uh, time with me this morning and letting people get to know you a little bit more. Um, and also, I want to wish you both the, the best of luck in your respective primaries and your continuing marriage. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I do not anticipate a serious break anywhere at any time. Okay. We've been at this for almost 40 years. So, <laughs> I mean, if we survive that long, I'm sure we can survive this, you know, election. And, I mean, we survived the past ones, and I'm sure we're going to survive this one. All right. Well, take care, <laughs> both of you, and thanks again. Thank no you, problem. Tom and right. Andrea. Uh, have you all a good one. All right. Bye-bye. Same here. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. That was uh, Lynn and Ray Freiberger. Uh, Lynn is running in the Republican primary in August for the 50th District State House of Representatives. Her husband, Ray Freiberger, is running in the Democratic primary against the incumbent, Tim Sneller, in the uh, August primary for the uh, Democratic side. And we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'll be talking with the incumbent from the uh, 50th District State House of Representatives uh, seat, who's running for re-election, Democrat Tim Sneller joins me after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in edgewise. If you're streaming us, we have some messages. As Everybody's well. doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But while you would possibly never even consider counting how many pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. The only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on a, bu- on a bus, all 65 of them with their instruments and everything, and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slack. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for Ford. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Standing on the corner, giving all the Fords the Thunderbirds kissing cousin. Get in a Ford. Give Ford a try. So don't be standing on the corner. Watching all the Fords. Watching all the Fords. Be the guy who's going by. 
This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue with our uh, conversation with candidates for the 50th district seat in the State House of Representatives. And joining me now by phone is the incumbent Democrat who's running for re-election for that seat, Tim Sneller. Tim, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, Tim, this is a very different time. You've run a lot of these uh, campaigns behind the scenes and uh, out in the spotlight and uh, done all the door-to-door campaigning and all the fundraising and stuff that goes on in a, in a traditional uh, campaign, but this is anything but a traditional campaign cycle. How is it, how is it different for you this year? How do you manage to run a re-election campaign while you're uh, under house arrest? Well, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it, Tom. Um, no, how I've done, and I'll be honest with you, um, for the last three months, as you know, as uh, we've had the shutdown of our economy, we're slowly recovering, getting things open. Um, I have spent, since the end of March, I have made 3,500 3, phone calls to constituents, not only throughout my district, uh, but throughout the county and actually throughout the state, because I guess they set up a Facebook page, and there's about 60,000, 70,000 followers. It's just about you know people talking about having problems with the unemployment system. So I have been on my phone. It's kind of like knocking doors, because I'm speaking to my constituents individually. I've given them my phone number. Um, actually, I just had three calls this morning before I joined you um, from Constit saying, Representative Seller, thank you for your persistence. You, I, I finally got my problem resolved with UIA, and I actually got my money. So that's what I have been doing for the last uh, three months because, you know, I, I think I'm known in Lansing with my colleagues as being the coffee hour king. Um, over the course of my first three years, um, I held over 145 coffee hours throughout uh, uh, the 50th House District, Burton, Grand Blank, and Mundy Township. Um, so it's just a matter of communicating. But getting back to your question about how we're going to operate our campaigns this year, you know, we've got to you know reinvent it. Just like I think we're hearing about how schools may open in the fall, there's going to be various ways that we're going to be able to do this. And so, you know, I'm just looking at every alternative. You know, you still put up the yard signs. You still do the mailings. Um, knocking on doors, now that might be a different thing because I'm used to, I love that, knocking on the door and talking to the constituent directly. Uh, but I think I've been able to do that through those 3,500 phone calls I've made over the last three months. <laughs> are you able to get um, feedback on uh, what people are, are finding important? If you watch... Uh, uh, of course, uh, the media, whether it's uh, online media like M Live or broadcast media like the the area TV stations and so on, they're not covering the campaigns like they historically have. And if you if you turn to those things, it's all coronavirus or protests all the time. And uh, you know, it's it it makes me wonder what are the kitchen table issues that you're hearing from constituents when you make these calls that matter to them? Well, first of all, what matters to them is, you know, when they, you know, it was no fault of their own, you know, why they were either laid off or, you know, put out of work. It's we're dealing with a broken UIA system. 
I mean, it, it is. It's it happened began under the previous administration and has continued. I mean, I as you know, I was a staffer. Even though I get called a career politician, I was a staffer for thirty three years. I've only been elected to office for two terms, so I don't know that that's a career politician because, as you know, we have term limits. Uh, but. You know, I've never seen a system, because that's what I did for various senators and reps throughout my career, is when somebody called, for example, when I worked for Senator John Cherry or Representative Charles Smiley, when they called that office, I was the first line. They had a problem, I helped resolve it. That's what I'm continually doing. But what we've seen is in this last, you know, three or four months, we've seen approximately two million Michiganders apply for unemployment. I don't know that the system was ever set up for 2 million people. I don't know if there is a system that could take 2 million people. Uh, but, you know, I mean, even in 08, 09, when we had, you know, the recession, and it really hit Michigan hard because of our manufacturing base, um, we only were at three or 400,000. So multiply that by four. And it's just overwhelming. But I've told my constituents, I will stay with you till you get your problem resolved with UIA and you get that you know, that payment. That's been the biggest issue I've heard because people are going six, eight, ten weeks without any money. I, I can't even fathom going how, three months without a paycheck. How much of the problems at, at UIA are uh, uh, coronavirus uh being overwhelmed by this uh, pandemic and and the sudden loss of jobs and how much of it is that the system was already broken well a lot of it has been an additional burden because as you know you know we had a regular unemployment system you got laid off from your employer you got unemployment benefits well as you know we had that federal stimulus money come in around april 20th where we call it the pua it was the pandemic unemployment which that was the federal stimulus money. So rather than just somebody getting laid off because we had to close down businesses, so people who would not, I don't even like the word normally, would not qualify for unemployment benefits. Let's say a small business owner. Let's say a 1099 uh, employee or a gig worker or whatever that would normally not qualify now became qualified for unemployment. So you added that burden on top of it with all those claims as well. Um, you know, plus, you know, dealing with small businesses, um, trying to get them, you know, these uh, federal loans so that they can keep afloat if they keep employees, you know, because many businesses downscaled, like, you know, I'm going to use my favorite restaurant or one of my favorite restaurants, Latinas, over there on Bristol Road. And I know sure. Mike and Bridget very well. And uh, what they did is they kept it open, but they were able to expand their takeout where they were at about 60% capacity of what they were able to operate at. Now, of course, you know, we've uh, relaxed some of the uh, stuff where they're open now, so they're probably back up to about 90%. But because they were able to keep some employees employed, they were eligible for some of those loans and grants uh, through the federal dollars. So it was just an overwhelming system that we added even more once we got the PUA um, employment. In in the wake of of this crisis, and of course, uh, just north of us in uh, in in Midland and in uh, north of uh, Saginaw County, there, um, the the flooding that's that's gone on there, there there are all kinds of demands on the state budget. What happens to the budget going forward? Um, how are we going to pay the bills from all this when revenue is down and demand for money is up? 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a great question. I'm, one of the things that we see, and I don't serve on the House Appropriations Committee, um, and so I you know, really uh, work closely with my two colleagues from Genesee County, Representative Kennedy and Representative John Cherry, who actually serve on that committee. Uh, we had a revenue estimating uh, conference oh, about a month ago. I think it was back in May. And uh, what they s- suggest is we could be seeing anywhere between a 5 and $7 billion deficit going into the next fiscal year because of the lost revenue. So we got to be very careful. I mean, we want to open up schools. They're talking, you know, there's been rumors and talk of, you know, uh, cutting the school aid fund. Um, That is the last thing I want to see. So what we have to do is we have to take the limited resource that we have now, we have to spend those wisely. We've got to somehow get our kids back into the schools, however it's going to be. I did have a great conversation with Dr. Lisa Hagel, who's the um, superintendent of the ISD, and was asking her different questions about how schools are going to operate. Uh, Because I do get a lot of calls from parents and teachers and administrators. Hey, what are we going to do? Well, a lot of it's going to be up to the schools are going to submit plans as to how they want to do it. I mean, you could have a a variety of things that could go from, like, virtual learning that, you know, we did basically in, you know, April and May uh, to students to back in the classroom and in a a safe distance. Um, And there's going to be various choices. So that might be a good thing, uh, but they also need the resources from the state to be able to implement those. And we've got to be uh, very diligent as to how we're going to spend those limited, you know, uh, resources. Um, I would love to see um, another federal stimulus package uh, that can help local units of government and help state because a lot of that, all of that state uh, are that federal stimulus money, those three stimulus packages. None of that was able to be spent on any state, um, you know, um, uh, government operations or local. And as we all know, you know, the first are going to go if we start cutting um, funds to local units of government, Grand Blank Township, City of Burton. Um, they could very well be laying off our first responders, our police and fire, uh, because of those limited resources. So we do need some help from the feds. It's kind of like getting our tax dollars that we pay into Washington back. Republican lawmakers uh, have come out with their proposal uh, for a back-to-school plan um, uh-huh. for in-person uh, learning in the fall. And uh-huh. they're basing uh, what they're recommending on... Uh, uh, it it hinges on 1.3 billion in federal funding, um, which is a one-time boost, actually. But um, I t- I talked with your colleague Cheryl Kennedy from the 48th uh, this week, and uh, she was talking about the the meetings that she was attending uh, with educators and legislators uh, toward a democratic plan. Um, have you seen the uh, the Republican plan, and, and what do you think of their plan, and how do you anticipate the Democratic plan being different? Well, you know, we always start, you know, you always, when you get into these discussions, I have not read all of it. I think the Republican plan, from what I read, it just came out within the last few days, um, is a great start. I mean, you got to always have a starting point. And the Democratic plan, which I have not seen, um, I'm sure Representative Kennedy, who does have a great education background, 
um, you know, are starting to put something together. But, you know, you got to have a starting point. And I, I think the, what the Republicans did is to put out a plan and let's discuss it. And let's see how we can come to a compromise because we have to fund our, our schools. I mean, these kids already lost like 10 weeks of education. So that's 10 weeks they can't get back. Um, you know, so as we move ahead, we need to look at other innovative ways as to how we can make sure our kids get the best quality education and that we do it uh, with, the, you know, it's like the, the, the best the buy for the dollar. And um, so where we're going to get there, I don't know. That discussion is just really surfacing right now. But I'm willing to work with any legislator, uh, Republican, Democrat, House member, Senate member, uh, to make sure that, you know, Michigan uh, is at the top of our education system. Um, you know, the, the governor has uh, been lauded uh, really throughout the country as having some of the uh, strictest guidelines with regard to reaction to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. And uh, some here in the state uh, think she's a hero and some think she's a villain. Where do you come down on uh, the governor's well, handling of the crisis? Well, I mean, first of all, this was something that, you know, the governor did not create. I mean, I never want to believe that a governor, whether it be she as Governor Whitmer or, you know, another governor, a Republican or Democrat, it, it wasn't a partisan issue with the pandemic. But, I mean, just look at the facts to it. The facts are when this first broke out, the pandemic back in um, early March, mid-March, we were number three in the country as far as COVID cases and as far as deaths. And, and I know it was very restrictive, but look where we are today. I understand the last I saw, we were, we were number 26 now. I mean, we have really gone down because of those. And believe me, Tom, I caught a lot of hell on those phone calls. I'm sure. You know, back in March, <laughs> I had people calling me. You know, and you, that's the whole point of the conversation is you listen, you find out what's safe. I mean, I did not, even those people that were angry, that couldn't go golfing or couldn't use a, a motor on a boat to go fishing or, or whatever. couldn't get a haircut. Nurseries. <laughs> could, I still don't have a haircut. Actually, I was on the house floor last night, and I had a colleague tell me, he says, well, you must have lived through the 70s because you're starting to look like a hippie again. Uh, but anyhow, it's probably the most hair I've had in 20 years. But, um, you know, I understand those things. Now, I did not, when I mentioned this to constituents, and believe me, I've talked to hundreds of them, I said, now, are we going to turn the, this was back in April. Are we going to turn the switch on and go back to how it was February 1st? No. But can we get there in a safe manner where we can still reduce the uh, coronavirus cases? Yes. You know, we could, we ended up opening up nurseries. Uh, we opened up um, dog grooming. We've opened up golf courses. I mean, I had one guy, he called me in late March and he wanted uh, the golf course open because he wanted to get out and get exercise and he was tired of watching his golf club sit in the corner growing dust. So we did get it open. And then what does he do? Because he, he said he wanted exercise. So what does he do? He, he, we get them open. You carry yours. I mean, back I used to caddy for my father back in the 60s, and you carried their clubs. We didn't have golf carts back then. Yeah, I was, anyway, my, so I was my dad's remote control, Tim. I was. <laughs> I, I, I've been there, too. But my dad used to make me caddy for 18 holes up at the IMA Brookwood. I'm a graduate of Bentley High School here in Burton. 
And um, anyway, so he calls me back about three or four weeks later. He said, Representative Sneller, thank you so much for working with the governor's office to get the golf courses open. But, you know, I'm 80 years old. I can't carry my own clubs. I need a cart. And I said, well, you just told me that you needed to get out and get the exercise. He goes, yeah, I do, but not for 18 holes. I said, good, then only golf nine. Yeah, there you I go. Said, you know, we'll get there. But, you know, um, and the other thing that we're working on right now, speaking of, you know, opening up, you know, I've been working closely with the Ally Challenge um, out there at Warwick Hills. And um, it, they're still, I think, negotiating trying to do it because I didn't realize this, that they had about 30,000 people out there all those four days of the golf tournament. Now, they downsized it because I believe Warwick is about 150 acres, and don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty darn close. Um, downsizing it to maybe 3,700. Um, so I know they're working with, and they're working with Senator Anna, Nick, and myself uh, because that is a very important event to me. Um, and trying to, you know, make sure that happens on July 27th. So we're not there. I don't know if any final decision has been made by the uh, governor's office, but I'm working really hard to do that because one of my first bills in public acts in 2017 was to, uh, when they came back in 2018, was to give them their liquor license um, so they could operate it. Because as you know, Tom, we used to have the Buick open here. That was 40, 50 years old till unfortunately, General Motors went bankrupt and they had to do away with it. So, you know, Flint didn't, or Genesee County didn't have a major PGA tournament, and we got a beautiful golf course. We got beautiful golf courses all over. So Ally came back and partnered with McLaren and uh, brought back, it's called the Senior Open. It's part of the PGA Tour. And uh, so I like to see that in, in some shape or form go, because, you know, if you cancel an event, it's really hard to reestablish that event. And I've got a bill right now in the Senate that passed out of the House unanimous uh, because Ally had committed to doing, um, they only wanted to do 18, 19, and 20 the year. So that first bill guaranteed them a liquor license for those three years. And then early, late last year, one of the guys from Ally Challenge says, hey, we've decided to commit from 21 through 25. And they said to him, you need another bill because my law only allowed you to have it for three years because you committed to that. So we're working on it, and it's. Uh, I'm hoping that we can get at least keep some shape or form of that ally challenge this year. You mentioned earlier, Tim, a, a reluctance to uh, use the word normal, and a lot of people are talking about getting back to what's being called yeah. a new normal. Um, and, and technology has really played a, a role in how people have uh, functioned during this uh, uh, time of being... Uh, uh, shut down and, and locked down. Right. Um, how has it impacted the, the legislature and, and the business of the people? And, and how might it continue to play a role in a new normal? Yeah, well, we've already experienced it in the House, and I think you probably followed um, the legislature. You know, we do um, social distancing. Like, I'm not actually sitting at my seat now on the floor. I'm still on the floor, but I'm up where the press is. Because uh, they've moved us around where we're not right next to each other. So, and we have actually, I think, forty or fifty reps that sit up in the gallery, um, so that they can social distance. Um, half Republican, half Democrat, and uh, so that we're spread out throughout the house. 
Uh, but even through that, I think maybe two or three weeks in April, um, you know, we were down. Of course, they always have a two-week uh, spring break. Uh, but we've been meeting um, fairly, you know, like once a week. Then we got up to two, uh, two times a week. My committees have pretty much met. I know I serve as a, and I'm honorable, uh, honored to serve as the vice chair on the House Transportation Committee. Uh, we've basically continued to meet every week. Um, because transportation is still a very important issue, and we got to fix the roads. Um, so that those are the type of things that we've done. We've just done it in a slower manner, and um, you know, making sure that uh, we do the social distancing and house. It looks really weird sitting in front of the <laughs> chamber and watching the whole chamber rather than actually sitting at my seat. What they've done too with it, and you talk about technology on my uh, laptop. They've set up a uh, thing where I can vote right off my laptop. Well, that's what I'm um, wondering. Are some of those? Are we going to continue to have some of those things going forward? And I also want to see what you oh, think yeah. about the uh, yeah. uh, voting uh, by mail uh, for uh, um, constituents. Oh, I, I, you know, I supported Proposal Two and Proposal Three in 2018 uh, because I think that's uh, and you know this you know um, being fraudulent and stuff like that. No, they identify you, and I, I have no problem with voting by mail. Even though uh, I'm 64 years old, I've always gone in to the polling place and voted. I love walking in there and sliding my ballot in and watching that number on that uh, vote counter machine go up by one, so I know my vote will be counted. Uh, but, you know, like you just said, we've got to look at other ways of doing this. I mean, we looked at the horror in Georgia and in uh, Wisconsin, where these people were standing in line for four or five hours. That's outrageous, you know, and, and disenfranchise people because people have to work. How do you tell your boss, I need the whole day off just so I can stand in line to vote? That's outrageous. So if you can find other alternatives and have safety measures to make sure that every vote is counted and every vote is legitimate, um, I think we can do that. Well, I remember, uh, you know, for years people have been trying to figure out ways to make voting easier for people so that more people mm -hmm. would participate. And I remember... Uh, uh, former uh, Lieutenant Governor John Cherry uh, suggesting uh, Saturday voting, and um, yeah. and and I wonder if this uh, mail-in voting, this this uh, uh, no reason absentee voting or early voting, as they've called it in other states, um, if if that isn't going to have an impact on getting more people to participate, and if. Uh, necessity isn't maybe the mother of invention maybe maybe we've found a way to get more people involved yeah and you just hit it right on that was i believe for a proposal too the voters in michigan voted overwhelmingly i think it was in the 60 percentile that voted to say hey you know i heard a lot of times from clerks um local um would say you know when somebody would come in and ask for an absentee ballot you know it, generally if you were not over 60 there were three or four criteria under the previous law how you could vote if you're going to be out of town if you're over 60 um you know and they would somebody would just come in so well, i'm just not going to be here and they knew that probably wasn't the truth why should you have an excuse to vote absentee if you're a, if you're a registered voter a legitimate voter why shouldn't you be given a ballot what difference does it make whether you show up at a polling place or whether you vote by mail uh, but that's what the voters decided when they um, overwhelmingly passed proposal two and proposal three in 2018 so the voters spoke loud and clear this is the going to be the new norm for as far as voting well, I was really surprised. I was really happy, actually, to see that the uh, voting in the few areas that had voting in May 
where uh, the numbers were up significantly in participation. Yeah. So maybe we'll see that in in August and maybe again in November. Tim, we've got to we've got to wrap it there. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more. Do you have a website? Yes, I have uh, several websites. <laughs> I have uh, first of all, they can always call my office. That is uh, area code five one seven. 373-3906. They can email me at Tim Sneller um, at house.mi.gov. And one thing I'd just like to add, as I was mentioning earlier, Tom, I've done all these coffee hours. I like the one-on-one with individuals. That's how I've always operated. And that's why I love coffee hours. But um, I've had to postpone them because the five locations I've done them throughout my district were closed. But um, I saw where Sam's Italian... Um, uh, pizzeria there on Grand Blake Road in Rankin. Um, I usually did those on the third Monday of every month. I'm going to, July 20th will be my first coffee hour there. We've got to end it there, Tim, but thank you so okay. much. Hello there, citizens. Take care. Darkwing Duck here. And Big every duck. time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. 
Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bat. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange, it's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name this was This is sarsaparilla? U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, we continue with our conversations with candidates running uh, for the State House of Representatives in the 50th District. There are uh, uh, primaries in uh, both parties, and we're going to talk to a couple of Republicans. One joining me uh, now by phone is uh, Christina Fitchett Hickson, and she joins me by phone. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. I was poking around a little bit online and discovered that you had originally intended to run for uh, U.S. Congress and then uh, withdrew from that and entered the race for the state house. What made you decide you wanted to go to Lansing instead of Washington? Well, there were a lot of things that uh, contributed to that decision. Um, I say first and foremost is uh, the need to make sure that the governor is not going to run away with um, the parties, that we're going to continue to have that balance between the representatives of Republicans and Democrats. Um, and second most, um, when, when uh, there was nobody on the other side, we could not just let that seat go, un, you know, go con- uncontested. So um, we knew we did not want Tim Sneller, and we knew I'm the only one that can run in a district because you have to live there. So that's one of the main reasons why. Um, another reason is, um, you know, I thought I can always go to Congress uh, later and get the things done after I finish what needs to really get done. And my biggest um, goal is education. We have to get this education system fixed. Um, we've been, <laughs> we've been fighting it for years as teachers. Um, I remember the first day when the common core was put in there and I remember, you know, them saying that it's a combination of what's going on in the state and it's what's going on in the actual federal government for the, um, you know, the education system. So if we can kind of like get both together, uh, we can actually really get this fixed, you know, so, um, I think we need to look at what's there that's working and we need to look at what's not working and we need to, to find the commonalities in the schools that are 
that are successful and the schools that are failing and um, be able to uh, get rid of the things that cause you to fail and, and um, adopt some policies that are working, you know. So. And your background is, I, in, uh, is in education? Teaching. Yes, my background is teaching. I taught for 15 years over at Flint Community Schools. Um, I worked with the HOST program, which is, you know, helping those children that are having a hard time succeeding and in, in giving them the extra little push. We had mentors that we got from the community that uh, volunteered to help out. Um, we worked with the local churches. It was a wonderful program. And I also then worked with Title I after that and uh, worked on a one-on-one basis with the teacher so that I could work with the kids to kind of get them up to speed. And I think if we take some of those kind of programs and the things that did work that we dropped and some of the things that we that aren't working, get rid of those and just kind of try to get that balance back because we were really doing well. My school that we worked at um, was Coolidge Elementary and we won some awards for the, the meat tests and things like that. And our kids were very happy with police officers. We had a, a buddy program and, you know, I think a lot of that led to how our city handled these crises that we just saw, you know. Um, the Republican lawmakers uh, in Lansing just just came out within the last few days uh, with a proposal for uh, a back to school plan um, for in person learning for K through five in the fall and um, looking at uh, of course their their proposal they're they're also looking at more robust virtual learning plans and what mm-hmm. safety measures should be in place. And their proposal hinges on $1.3 billion in federal funding. Have you seen the, the plan or at least the announcement of the, uh, of the proposal from the, the Republicans in Lansing? Yeah, I, I had a chance to look over it just a bit, and um, it, it looked pretty reasonable. Um, they took some of the things that are really working you know, you always have to look for the silver lining when you have a problem. And I think one of the silver linings we found in our country, <laughs> all over the country, is that we found out that we have some really great parents. And if they have the right amount of time, that they can really educate their kids. And so they've been doing a great job at home, working with those kids and getting them up to speed where they need to be and getting that one-on-one. Um, and I think that probably should continue. I think we should continue to keep that going. Um, the main thing we really are working on, I think, when we come back to school is you have to have the kids socialization. They have to be with their friends and things like that, you know, and that really helps um, kind of shape the kids and how they are able to handle school. Because you're talking K. So anybody in kindergarten, you know, that's that's. A, a job all by itself. <laughs> I taught uh, about five years of kindergarten, so I loved kindergarten. And the biggest problem with that is getting those good habits, study habits, um, and getting them socialized so they get along with each other. And, you know, that's going to be something that um, I was looking for. I was looking to see, you know, how are they going to handle the masks? <laughs> we had a we had a funny uh, meme on uh, Facebook about the masks, and that was one of the things we were talking about. Maybe we might want to rethink the mask <laughs> and do more of a social distance thing than the mask, because um, 
you know, somehow maybe we can like clean the room or get more sun in the room or something. But, um, you know, they, we're going to have some fun in kindergarten with the mask. <laughs> Ultra, ultraviolet lighting. Um, <laughs> yes, there you go. Great idea. See, you've got it. But, you know, it might take a little bit of pre-planning and, you know, get some things in there for the kindergarten room. Maybe we'll put the ultraviolet lighting in our kindergarten room so we don't have to worry about the mask. <laughs> well, during this, this last three months that schools were closed down, um, a lot of parents were being encouraged to homeschool and assist and distance yes. learning was being experimented with and and um yeah it's it's That's been a real gonna come from. yeah it's been a real mm -hmm. challenge um for people to figure out what to do but as people are figuring it out um some people just as we're expecting there are some people that won't be going back to work there may be some mm. parents who decide that this homeschooling thing is something that they want to continue um it's very possible and, that that's going to happen. And, yeah. and we've also seen, um, you know, a reduction in revenue for the state and an increased demand mm -hmm. for money, for uh, assistance for businesses, for individuals that are mm -hmm. out of work and so on. Um, school budgets are going to be tough to come by uh, in the coming mm -hmm. year. What, what's, to be, what's to be done about that, Christina? What are, what are your thoughts on how the state needs to refund itself? Well, I think the most important thing we have to do right now is open up our state and get us open safely so that everybody is back to work. Once we can start getting the normalcy going that way, businesses will start to pick up again. They might even pick up more than they ever did because people are going to now um, purposefully use their businesses and purposefully, you know, try to make sure that they go do something. Maybe before they didn't use a business, like for instance, let's say maybe most people didn't go out to eat. Well, now maybe they will. You know? <laughs> sure. And, so, and the same um, thing with retail. Uh, there, there may be uh -huh. a sentimental push for, for local and uh, in particular small businesses after people spent yeah. three months doing everything online and getting way yeah. too familiar with their uh, FedEx drivers. <laughs> right. <laughs> their best friend, the FedEx driver, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I love my FedEx driver after all of this. Have you run for things before, Christina? Or is this uh, um, new for you? This is my first elected position. Um, I've tried other different jobs and things like that. Um, I have my own business that I work on. Um, I've always helped out in my community and my church. Um, I just, I never really got paid to do anything. I just did it just because, you know, cause I know it's the right thing to do. It's the right, um, it's the right extra time. You know, it's the right time to do it. It's when you have, when you have a opportunity and even if you don't get paid, but you have an opportunity to make a difference in your community, you do it. You know, and if someone asks you, you do it because that's just, you know, that's the way our communities are supposed to work. We're supposed to all work together as a team. And so for me, most of mine is just volunteer. I don't really do a lot that that's like elected or anything like that. I just, you know, I do what's expected and, and I try to help out everywhere I can in my communities. Have you worked on other political campaigns? 
Um, when I was a kid, my dad and I, um, he ran out in uh, Wayne County for a position as a precinct delegate, and he won, and I helped him to campaign. And at the same time we campaigned for precinct delegate, we campaigned for President Bush, who was at that time Vice President Bush. And then later, when I got into high school, um, when he was running once more, I helped him campaign as well. So I kind of had some fun doing that. That was that was really fun, going out, getting the signs out, passing out literature on the doors, you know, talking to people. Um, it was it was really fun. I felt bad he didn't win, but uh, you know, <laughs> the first time he won. So, <laughs> Christina. Um, I have to take a short break here for top of the hour ID, and so I have okay. to break for a couple minutes. Can you stand by so we can talk a little bit more? Sure, that'll be great. Okay, we'll be back with more with uh, Republican Christina Fitchett Hickson. She is a candidate in the August primary for the 50th district seat in the uh, Michigan State House of Representatives. We're going to break for just a moment or two, and then we will continue. Uh, today's entire show will be uh, repeating all day online, and um, the uh, interviews will be up on the archive shortly after the show today. Uh, probably will be replayed again uh, next month as we get closer to the primary, but stand Hi, by. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 